Tairawhiti, the name of the Gisborne region and the Wakahaurua, described by its builder and navigator, Te Aturangi Nepia-Clamp, as a floating classroom. In this week's edition of Tiahi Ka, I'm back with the crew as they head out for a sail. Cedar Proctor is from Tokomaru Bay and Papua New Guinea. She's also the administrator of Tairawhiti Waka Voyaging Trust and part of the voluntary crew. Once we get out of the channel into the bay with no you know, possibilities of collision, so all yeah. clear, um, that's when we will start to um, use our sails and things as nice. such. Coming up, Te Aturangi talks about his mission to teach more students about waka voyaging. Our voyaging ancestors started some 7,000 years ago and they did amazing things using stone tools. They constructed um, voyaging canoes that were capable of going out and um, exploring, discovering and settling the um, Pacific Ocean. And I learned about the function of coconut oil as a means of powering this vessel on the water. Ia kunui, ia kurahi, no mai haramai ki te hōtaka nei āteahika, he matapihi tēnei ki te ao Māori. A weekly show here on RNZ that provides an insight into the Māori world. Ko Justine Murray, ahau. A fascinating part of the waka is that one of its two diesel engines is fuelled by coconut oil. Now there's a trick, one half of the engine is used to warm up the other side because at room temperature, coconut oil is solid, so it needs time to heat up. For the cruise mission, this is all about ocean sustainability. Before we head out into the harbour, I check out the engines and sleeping quarters in the hull below. In the hull of Tairawhiti with Roger, he's going to show me... uh, how this diesel and coconut oil concoction powers Tairawhiti. Yep. So, three-cylinder diesel. Uh, it's 30 horsepower. So, two, two identical motors, one in each hull. Yes. These have uh, uh, normal coolant, like a car. But instead of a radiator, they have a heat exchanger. So, salt water comes in here. Yes takes the heat out of the coolant, so you only got clean coolant going through the motor, not salt water. And so that keeps them clean for a long time. This is the drive shaft, and it goes straight through the hull there. That's wow. a, like a stern gland to keep yes. the water out. And then the propeller is a folding propeller. Three blades. When you're sailing, the propeller folds flat, nice and streamlined. Yep. As soon as the shaft starts spinning, they automatically flick out, and you've got a propeller to push the boat. Wow. Uh, that's the starting battery. Starting battery there. Yep, alternator. And uh, now they've got the 120 litres of diesel, so 50 litres of coconut oil, which we theoretically we can use. Mm-hmm. Um, to use it, you have to run the motor on diesel to get that warm. A, a pipe goes through to warm it up. Yes. It's got to be liquid. Yes. It's got to be liquid before it will go through the motor. So you start it on diesel, warm that up, then flick over to the coconut oil. My gosh. Which we actually don't use much because it's... <laughs> but, you know, theoretically it's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you would have seen a solar panel on the back. Yeah. There's a solar panel controller. Okay. Now, boats actually 
you know, whether, whether you're sailing or motoring, boats use a lot of power. They've got to have lights at night and GPS navigation, whatever yes. sort of navigation. But lights, navigation, communications, you know, VHF radio. So even when you're out at sea, you've got to be able to generate power. So boats either have a solar panel, which is very popular, or little windmills, little windmills somewhere out the back of the boat to generate power. Yeah, and there is, there is that, but you don't want to be running your engine on a long voyage. You don't want to be running your engine each day, you want to yeah. be sailing. Yeah. What's the ratio between power and uh, the, the sail? So wind versus this, so you'd use this hardly ever? Yeah, this is um, particularly for getting in and out of harbour. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a floating classroom, we do a lot of getting in and out of the harbour. Yeah. Um, the original boats, which are the same design as this, but built in 2011, had huge solar panels, batteries, and a, a special high-tech electric output that they could drop down into the water when they needed well, two outboards, drop them down. They are high-tech because they were able to generate power if the boat was sailing fast. They had big, big blade propellers, and they could generate power, or they used the power of the batteries and Instead of fuel tanks, they had big batteries, big lithium-ion batteries. But they've taken those out of these boats because this is just so convenient. And uh, can we can steam at about, I think, about 12, 13 kilometres an hour with these. Um, but sailing, we can go faster. Yes. We can go up to... This boat would be able to go up to um, about 20 kilometres an hour if you pushed it. Wow. Yeah. So, um, engine being there, obviously cold nights, would it warm up the space where the bunks oh, yeah. are too? Yeah, yeah, it would. Nice and toasty. That'd be no noisy. Yeah. Um, you've got these, now these bunks, these are bunks, and this is a lee cloth so that people don't roll out of the bunk at night in a, in a rough sea. Right, so, so they hook those up. To, yeah, here we yeah, go, that yeah. hook up there. Handy. Keep you in the sleeping bag. Um, that one's a shelf, but it has, also has the same thing. Luggages. Keep, yeah, luggage. Yeah, and we've got, we've got waterproof uh, bulkheads, um, ports, and that's a bulkhead, that wall there, it's called a bulkhead, and that's a, sort of a doorway. Uh, oh, okay. An access yes. Uh, we have run right up the front, actually you can see it through there as well, um, and that, that's the forward locker where the sails and other gear is stored. So I think it's about eight people per side. Eight people, Eight yep. or ten, yeah. Depending on how crowded you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how do people charge their phones, uh, Roger, here oh, on the Waka? There is, there is a um, charging, couple of charging ports, like a cigarette lighter charging uh, port yep. up in the cabin where the, uh, all the electronics are all converged there. Yep. The power, the navigation and communications is up there. So people can charge their phones, but yes. hey, you've only got eight <laughs> kilometres range. <laughs> yeah, you've got to communicate some other way. Okay, we're going to start pulling up, Don. I need you to grab that... Uh, a small welcome to the new sailors, including me, a safety briefing and karakia or prayers. The crew then ready the waka for an afternoon sail, about three hours. Damien McClutchy has a background as a commercial fisherman. In fact, most of the crew on board have a similar background. Now just to paint a picture here, there's a lot of wind out on the water and with three metre swells it can get a little bit choppy. So you'll hear a bit of that in this next piece. And, how, and you seem to have, uh, just by observing you, quite a quite a, a, a leadership type role on this waka. I'm just a like a director from 
Jatsunani, he's taught me everything I know uh, about sailing this waka. Uh, just about every nut and bolt on this waka and how she behaves in the water. And so he's been teaching us over the last 14 months how to get the beast out of this waka. And uh, what's the, the safety aspects of the sailing. And, uh, and, and that's paramount and, and the mahi that we do and in the training that we're learning. And we're sailing between uh, what, one, two, well, one, two, well, the cargo ships over there. Being out in the in the ocean is, um, you know, I can see a couple of fishing rods at the back there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, why not, hey? Why not come out and see if you can catch a, I don't know, a couple of snapper or something? Yeah, no, we do that all the time. Um, whenever we catch fish, uh, we uh, give it out to the visitors on board if they want to uh, take the, the fish home or we cook it up in the frying pan and uh, we feed them uh, fresh fish, you know. Uh, one day there we caught about uh, 16, 18 kahawai and uh, we just fried them up and uh, the whole the whole crew and uh, visitors all ate uh, fresh kahawai for the day. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. oh my goodness. Kia ora, Damien McClatchy, part of the voluntary crew on board the Wakahodua, Tairafati. Last week, Waka builder Tsiaturangi Nepia Clamp talked about his experience in the classroom where he was misinformed about the history of Polynesian navigation. Today, he's on a mission to set the record straight and tell the true stories of Polynesian celestial navigation. And the Tairawhiti Voyaging Trust is keen to start with educating students in the Gisborne region, as he explains. You talk about being a floating classroom, so therefore you hold and you host students, tourists? Yes, indeed. The, the idea is to, well, one of our missions is to actually um, engage with every school pupil in the Tairawhiti. And in engaging with every school pupil, they get to learn about our true history, our voyaging history. They learn to um, have a sense of belonging of their own, knowing where they come from, mm. and being proud of their voyaging ancestry. And one of the take-home messages I really like to, I like them to go home with is that our voyaging ancestors started some 7,000 years ago, and they did amazing things using stone tools. They constructed um, voyaging canoes that were capable of going out and um, exploring, discovering, and settling the um, Pacific Ocean, all of the islands on the Pacific Ocean, an ocean that covers one-third of the Earth's surface, and our Polynesian voyaging ancestors did that um, with a lot of courage and with um, meagre supplies and tools in order to achieve that. So 7,000 years ago, when you put that into context of um, the first European to sail around the world, which was Magellan, uh, that was a little under 500 years ago and so six and a half thousand years before that our ancestors believed and um, believed in themselves and were able to go out and um, build these waka, these amazing waka, sail um, the Pacific, exploring, discovering and settling the islands and then we come into um, starting off over in Taiwan and then sailing from west to east and discovering all those islands in between. And so then as they came across, um, then we start hearing about the stories of Maui. And Maui 
of course, um, fished up all the islands of the Pacific. No matter where you go around the Pacific and you talk to people about their history, their voyaging he um, history, they will all tell you stories about Maui. And they aren't stories that have been contrived or collaborated between the islands. They are their stories, as Maui's stories are our stories of Maui and Aotearoa. So we know that he fished up the North Island of Aotearoa and his waka Nukutai Memeha came to rest on top of Mount Hukurangi. So all of those stories we accept. And I think a couple of a few years ago, um, the government actually accepted it too, that the official name for the North Island is Tiko Maui, you know, which was a huge recognition, um, recognising our, our history as Māori of this land, as tangata whenua of this land. And then we come on to um, Kupe. About a thousand years ago, uh, we had Kupere, who, a very observant um, ancestor, each year he would um, see the migrating birds coming through, and he knew that the migrating birds were land birds, and so he decided to follow these land birds one year because he knew that they uh, would eventually find land. And so, uh, with his wife and others on board, they sailed um, following the, the direction of the, of the um, migrating birds and ended up down here in Aotearoa. And it was Kupe's wife, um, Kurumatatini, that actually um, named Aotearoa. We teach um, our tourists, our visitors, our guests and our school pupils, um, school students, about this history, which is which is rich, and probably um, the greatest untold story of of um, this millennium. And so, the take-home message that I like people to go home with is that we're tainted, us that are Polynesian, us that are Maori, we're tainted with the same DNA as our voyaging ancestors. Being tainted with that is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's in our DNA. So when they go home with um, stories like that, when they go home understanding that that they have this um, DNA within them and that you look at what the ancestors achieved and, you know, get them to understand that they can do anything. They can do absolutely anything. You know, they can do it. And that's how basically I've tried to live my life the dreams that the ancestors have given me, I've been true to um, in terms of the, the canoe prow, the tauihu, the largest tauihu in the world, giving recognition to our voyaging ancestors and to the dreams that I've had about building other various waka also. Yeah, so um, I'm quite excited about the future of waka haurua. Um I've spent a good deal of my life involved and promoting... Um, the importance of Waka Haurua. So, with the likes of um, from where from from Tauranga Moana, these uh, Jack Thatcher, Hotsurua, uh, Kerr, who have made it there in a sense a mission to instill uh, Waka voyaging in in the rangatai or young people coming up literally by taking them on on sails. Have, are you, do you look at doing the same? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I sailed with Jack first on Teodede. Yes, 92. In 92, and um, I think 
I sailed first with um, Hotedor in '95 when he came over to um, sail Teodede back down to Aotearoa from uh, Rarotonga. Yeah, so yeah, I know those guys. Yes. Yeah, we've we've all been around a long time. Most definitely, yeah. most definitely, that is um, that is the end game. The end game is to is to be able to um, uh, teach them the skills of voyaging for them to experience voyaging, but I think as importantly to understand how they fit into the puzzle, to understand what their DNA actually means, to understand what it is to dream and for dreams to um, to make your dreams come true, and so you know these are all part of the puzzle of what makes a person up. It's it's not just um, Oh, you know, jump on the walker and let's go for yep. a voyage and learn about the uh, learn about the stars and learn about celestial navigation. All of those are very important, um, but as a total package um, for the total person, uh, we have to acknowledge that um, there's a lot more to it. And if we want people to um, uh, to engage in it, uh, they need to be engaging fully. Um, with every aspect um, that they are, the four po of what we understand um, Māori health to be. And when you engage with those four po, uh, being the tinana, the hinganaro, the whānau, and uh, te wairua, well then you're engaging fully with it, and that's what um, voyaging can bring to you. Now, down one of the streets here in Gisborne is a huge painting of uh, Maupialog, one of the, the fathers of, uh, oh, of indeed, sailing. Indeed. And I was very privileged to sail with uh, Mo um, in 1992 when he sailed with us to Rarotonga. And um, I became very close to, to Mo. And yes, that, um, that mural was painted by one of our young voyagers. Nice. That's another, obviously, it's an acknowledgement to voyaging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, no, very excited. About that, that that mural is in Low Street um, in Gisborne here, and uh, very very striking and a wonderful reminder, you know, of one of our um, forefathers that assisted. I remember when we got onto the onto the walker on Teodede to voyage to uh, Rarotonga, that um, Miles said, "The walker is your mother. You look after her, and she'll look after you." while you're on the ocean. And um, I am the navigator, I am your father. And so, and while you're on this waka, you're all whanau, you're all family. So we're all guys on that particular voyage, on the first voyage, so I said, you're all brothers. And you really have to approach it like that. Anything, any problems that you've got in any way or form, you have, have to actually just leave that on the beach. Uh, when you go out voyaging because you can't afford anything to distract you while you're voyaging and you enter into voyaging um, fully understanding that and understanding that that you're, you're totally engaged. So Hikinuku Mai Busby's passing, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of legacy do you think he leaves behind? Uh, Hikanukumai left a huge legacy because um, uh, of Te Aurere and the first voyage to actually yes. um, to leave from here in 700 years. And, you know, Hikanukumai has huge, had huge support in um, Taitukaro. Mm. And so 
when it came to sailing to Rarotonga, he didn't actually have to involve anybody else, but because of his name, Hekanukumai, mm. you know, and he often used to say to me, Hekanukumai is to bring the people together. And so he did that with Te Aurere. He chose people from around the country um, to represent their various regions, and in doing so, you know, you had a, you had a, a, um, a full mix of um, a lot of the tribes from Aotearoa being um, represented on Te Aurere for that first voyage. And, of course, with them being involved, their tribes are involved, their people are involved. Um, and so he could have done it by himself quite easily, you know, just with people from Taitukaro. But unfortunately, um, well, fortunately for us, I should say, <laughs> fortunately for us, he didn't come from Taitukaro. He, um, he invited us, and um, in that way, I have always said to his face, and I've always said publicly that, I remember that to the day I pass, you know, that and always respect, honour and um, and appreciate the fact that I was chosen for that first voyage. Tēnā koe te aturangi nepia clamp, waka builder, navigator and educator. Nō Ngāti Parau, rongo whakāta me Ngāti Kahunganu. He's also chair of the Tairawhiti Voyaging Trust. We also heard from Cedar Proctor, Roger and Donald Eston, part of the voluntary crew. If you'd like to find out more about Tairawhiti Waka Voyaging, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. You can also subscribe to the podcast, search RNZ Tiahika on iTunes or Spotify. Koe ea tā tātou nei hōtaka mō tēnei wiki. Ano hoki, koe ea te wiki o te reo Māori. Engari, ahakoa koa otsi taua kaupapa, he wero tēnei kia koutou katoa me u ki te kōrero Māori. A thanks to everybody who took part in this year's Māori Language Week. But of course my challenge is, despite the occasion having come to an end, do your best to continue the conversation. Kia kaha te kōrero Māori. He mihi tēnei kia koutou katoa. Haikuna <laughs> Tatone, <laughs> 
Come on. 